literacy. That's one of the major challenges that we see when we sort of interact with local authorities, right? So there's typically someone who's keen on starting to use data and these technologies and bring it into, but then the problem is that once you involve different service areas across a local authority or borough, you are faced with people who are used to an old way of working and they have done this for 20 years in, in one way. And suddenly you bring in new data. They don't have the bandwidth. They don't have the understanding sometimes or the skills actually to leverage this new technologies and data that's coming out. And so what really needs to happen is that you're able to skill up the workforce or provide the capacity within a local authority to actually leverage these new tools and data. Only then adoption will happen. Hi, Smart Community friends. In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I have an excellent conversation with Alex Gluhack. Alex is an experienced technology leader and evangelist for the Internet of Things, or IoT, and its application to smart cities and communities. He is also the CEO and founder at Urban Data Collective, whose mission is to democratize access to real-time urban data. In this episode, Alex begins by telling us about his background as a telecoms engineer in Germany, his passion for travel and working with people from different cultures, before sharing with us a bit about his startup, Urban Data Collective. Alex then shares what a smart community means to him, why he believes data is so important in smart communities and how it affects decision making, before telling us a bit about some of his favorite projects that he's been working on. Alex then discusses some use cases of IoT, Internet of Things, used in some of his projects and the technology component that is involved in opening up data sets. And we also discuss the importance of upskilling people to allow for new ways of doing things in our workforces. We finish our chat discussing the emerging trend of more self-sufficient cities. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Good morning, Alex. How are you today? Thanks. I'm very well, Zoe. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm very excited to have you. And we were just discussing, I think, you know, this is a long time coming, which I'm excited to have you on the podcast and um, have this conversation with you. Yeah, great. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. Let's just jump straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about? Okay, so um, I grew up in Germany and started my life as a telecoms engineer researcher. And obviously, during my studies, I discovered some passion for travel, working with people from different cultures. I spent time working and living in different places, such as US, UK, Japan, Ireland, and ended up settling in the UK. And I also had a few uh, short research trips to Australia. But uh, 2006, <laughs> I started to work on uh, a concept called Internet of Things. And at that time, it wasn't really known as that. It was known as wireless sensor networks, RFIDs, and so on. So enabling technologies that actually make up the Internet of Things of today. And, uh, and throughout the last 15 years, I had also the chance to collaborate a lot with 
different researchers across Europe and European research projects, which allowed me to travel all over Europe and work with people from different countries and also attend conferences all over the place. And I was lucky really to ride the whole IoT technology wave from early research to prototype pilots, mainstream adoption now. And obviously, I sort of followed the cycle initially from academia then to research and companies and then innovation centers like the Digital Catapult. And now I sort of plunged into my own startup, <laughs> Urban Data Collective, together with my co-founder, Sarah. So we started it off last year. And our mission is really to democratize access to real-time urban data so other people can do great things with it. And I'm really passionate about providing people with the right tools and knowledge to get most of their smart infrastructure that is kind of slowly emerging and empower others to come up with innovations on top of the data that they can create a better world and community. And we've developed this Urban Data Exchange, a platform for cities and urban data infrastructure operators to manage their real-time data ecosystem. So UDX unlocks data from different proprietary vendor systems, harmonizes access to it, so it becomes shareable and reusable. And I also run a community called Urban Data Talks, where we bring people together who leverage urban data to create smarter cities and communities. Yeah, nice. So Urban Data Talks, do you share case studies and stuff like that? Yeah, so it's typically an event. Uh, I mean, we've been a bit lazy after summer, but we're sort of restarting it again. But it brings together usually three talks. You have uh, 15 minutes briefly about sharing experiences of people who use data to make a difference to the community. And and then it's just a panel conversation with the presenters and the audience. So, yeah. Awesome. I'm really keen to kind of dig into some of the projects you've done in the past, because I, I know that you were at the Digital Catapult. I visited not the digital catapult, the other one. The connected places catapult. It used to be called Future Cities Catapult, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. But first, let's go broad. And what is a smart community to you? That's a good question. So, a smart community for me is a community that is, I think, able to leverage emerging technologies to their advantage, yeah, to make better decisions, become more resilient and more sustainable. And it's one basically that can actually get access to data that matters and suitable insights, empower citizen participation and collective decision-making, <laughs> it's important, uh, to make the right choices. And then also to use the limited resources that we have available on our planet well to create a better future for us and for our children. Yeah, nice. I like that. And I also think that bringing in some of those bigger future thinking ideas really makes it, I guess, real again, and that it's not just something separate to the side. Because I think if we're not in this space, we might go, oh, smart city or smart community. That's just like some technology thing that's happening over here. But actually, it's about the future of our communities. And I mean, the now as well, because we need to act now to, to create that future. And I also think that we have so much opportunity now to shape what that future looks like like you said, that collective knowledge and that collective decision-making and people being able to input, now more than ever, I think we have the opportunity to be able to do that. Maybe not in every country, but, you know, we're working towards that. But in a lot of countries where we're able to input into that decision-making process, I think that's really important and empower the community to be able to do that as well. Yeah, so I think, yeah, you, you captured it well there. Yeah. All, all this together, I think, makes the community smart in the end, hopefully. <laughs> And the point is really like 
trying not to iterate too many times to get it right, right? So because the more you iterate, the more you waste. <laughs> so yeah, I think if you have the right knowledge, the right insights available to you, you hopefully make the better decisions. Mm-hmm. So you're a data person and I am a newly minted data person. I've just finished my master's of data science <laughs> and I really shouldn't, you know, boast about that on my own podcast, but I just got my graduation certificate today, actually. Well done, congrats. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So I'm excited. So I'll have to have some champagne later because it is 6 p.m. here. It is not 8 p.m. 8 a.m. where you are. But I guess the reason I'm saying that is because I wanted to, you know, I'm an engineer by background and you came from that academia sense and now you're moving into the startup lens. From a data perspective, how important, and I mean, this seems like a fairly obvious question, but for you, why is data so important? And I guess the skills required to analyze data and use data and all those type of things, why is that so important in our smart communities? Yeah, good question. So, yeah, yeah. So, I, I think, like, I mean, I, I actually wasn't injured in background. So, I, I came from more the infrastructure element and lens as well. So, the comms, uh, the, the sort of networking, right? So, this is where, where I started off. And obviously, you know, the Internet of Things, which is now actually a way of connecting the real world to the digital world, right? So, it's about connecting context or data what's happening in, in space and then and then making it actionable to kind of computers machines <laughs> and also people right so and i think there's a long tail right so you start off with observations and measurements at the edge and then you need to contextualize them into like an environment where they're collected in and what it means right and that's already a complicated process to make sense out of it or to be able to derive then a, a relevant action that, uh, so how can you actually use this data now as actionable insights? That's sort of like a challenge in itself. And then a big challenge again is like, can you also automate decision-making and so on? And for this, you need to be confident that things that you observe are the things that are the real things and, and, and so on. So there's a, a whole long, I guess, you know, initial infrastructure becomes a data play and then it becomes a lot of about getting data into like, information or knowledge that you can sort of then exploit to actually make a difference and this is why it's important (laughs) generally yeah yes and i threw that question at you and i think you gave a brilliant answer and i think even just explaining that complexity of of you know data is like even just there's so many forms of data so many forms of different things you make so many decisions about so many different things Every time we do something, it's making data points and some of that's valuable and some of it's not valuable. And so in our smart communities and our communities in general, we need to work out what that is because we only have so much, you are talking about waste earlier, we're, we can't waste all of our computing power on things that don't actually make sense or can't make a difference. However, we may have to try and test things because maybe we don't know yet exactly what all of those things will be. We do know a lot of those things and they're the things that we can start with. But innovation, you know, we don't actually know what that next iteration or thing is going to be potentially, but we can maybe kind of see roughly where it's going to go. And I think that's really important. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think as you, you make a good point. I mean, some data is relevant now and you know exactly what you're looking for and you can action it now and maybe in real time. And I think that's obviously a space where we're moving into it, right? But then there might be also 
data that you don't know what the value is yet. <laughs> so, uh, and this is like what people archive over time. And then later, maybe mainly scientists, right? And then they later discover interesting patterns, insights, know-how that they weren't able to understand now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, or something has suddenly become more relevant, right? So it's interplay between the real time, what's now, and also stuff that might be relevant in future, but you don't know yet what's relevant. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say like temporal things, like maybe back in the day, I, I'm trying to think of a good example, but I can't. And I normally go back to building bridges or roads or something. But, you know, you collected all this data, you might archive it, but then maybe you did the same thing maybe 10 years down the road. And actually you could see maybe the same patterns are there. Maybe you do things faster, but actually this takes this long and this takes, you know, the equivalent amount long time or whatever the case is. But then you can actually look at things that over time technology or efficiencies have helped us to improve by this and maybe that's a cost saving so then you can actually then predict future things or you can say well actually that's the return on the, the investment of this particular technology or maybe it's a tool or maybe it's a new skill or something like that and i think councils a local government in particular and all governments i suppose and everyone looking to make things more efficient more effective and spend less money i think that's really key and i think that's where there's lots of opportunity in this space because we may be starting at a base where we're not measuring and monitoring now and so the start is actually to start doing some of that so that we can actually measure and say what the efficiencies will be etc you're right so you're recording actually now a ground truth right <laughs> and and then uh, and then it's about like later when you introduce interventions you can then understand is it actually then uh, improving this bottom line right that i sort of uh, we call it. And I think what you need to learn now is obviously to move this into, uh, let's like say, a 21st century or software world. This means like you can quicker iterate with policies, right? So you can make, when I say agile policy making, where you sort of might, let's say, uh, if you want to reduce the, the traffic on the street, right? You can start playing with maybe the traffic light phasing, right? Will this make a difference? Uh, and if I time them different times, will it improve their quality, right? Or you could, for, for instance, introduce other interventions such as like, okay, and I've seen this in other places effectively that on certain days, only certain people with certain number plates can, <laughs> can actually go into a city. But then you can actually see, is there an effect or vary the speed limit? Is there an effect? And then based on that, you can actually say, yeah, it made a difference and let's sort of keep this as a law or policy for longer, right? And maybe improving walkability in neighbourhoods and increasing public transport or maybe cutting public transport fares in half or something along those lines because then you can actually see, well, this worked really well or this combined with this worked really well, whatever the case is. But we need to have that baseline, like you said, and I think in this space that's so important and not typically the most sexy of um, smart projects, but really, really key to be able to measure that. And I think going like to thinking about data, even measuring uh, like getting that baseline, you can learn so much that you thought you just knew or, or whatever the case is. And then thinking about, oh, well, if we tried this or if we tried that or if we did this or that. And I think that's really key as well. Cool. Well, tell us about some of the projects and things you've worked on in the past that are your favorite and then things that you're working on now. <laughs> Good question. So, yeah, so roll it back a little bit, right? So I think it's quite an interesting take. So actually being a technologist, right, I, I sort of took me some time to get into smart cities and communities. 
and actually it was a, a research visit to Australia, which changed my perspective. So I had a colleague at Melbourne University, and he took me then to actually a research station on Heron Island. <laughs> and they were monitoring basically the reef there, right? So they had like uh, these buoys with uh, measuring salination level, water temperature, light levels, and so on underneath uh, the sea. And uh, obviously it was a great place to be to start with. But when I came back to Europe, I really got uh, inspired by, hey, people take this tech in the wild and do stuff with it. And I was used to just, uh, you know, do experiments in the lab, right? So, so I said, okay, we need to do something about it. And just about 29, 2010, this time frame, we sort of took this to the next level. We said, let's take this into the wild. And obviously we don't have a reef in Europe, but let's try this technology in the city. And we set up Smart Santander, which was uh, one of the first large-scale IoT test beds in cities uh, in Europe. And in the end, you know, it was thousands of sensor nodes, 10,000 of sensor points in the city and different types of use cases that we trialed out. And, and I think that's sort of one of my first exciting projects <laughs> in this space. And yeah, so I mean, there were quite a few others in between uh, where we moved and more from infrastructure towards crowd sensing, but what I really then um, enjoyed a lot was, again, my time at the Catapult, where we looked at, again, more technology adoption. So looking at new technologies such as Low Power One or like wide area networks, uh, LoRa, Sigfox, NBIoT, LTM, and those technologies, right? And at that time, they were quite nascent in the UK. And here again, we... We tried to set up an initial test bed actually in London, <laughs> a LoRa network basically, uh, and made it public basically to interested startups and, and companies to work on. And we sort of rolled this out as well across other places of the UK. Again, the early days, but uh, obviously more and more now people are familiar with these technologies and obviously are leveraging them now to create parts of smart cities and so on. And, and that's interesting. And as part of these programs, we try to also, because those infrastructures were in cities, we try to involve local authorities to put forward challenges that can be tackled with this technology, and then startups respond to those challenges and, and then provide a solution that, that obviously they first tested and piloted and, and later scaled. Um, so, yeah, that was quite exciting. Yeah, so part. Oh, I was just going to say, I really like the term technology in the wild. I think that is amazing. And I think that's what smart communities are all about, having technology in the wild. And I know we'll, I know you'll keep going. I just wanted to pull you back a little bit, thinking about just the use cases element. Because I think a lot of people go, IoT, okay, unless they're in the space, they don't necessarily know what it could do and those use cases could be. So could you give us some examples of some of the use cases that um, you did deploy in, in any of those projects? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a plentiful <laughs> to draw upon. It's uh, starting from like uh, looking at uh, larger construction works and understanding the impact of it, You measuring noise and air quality levels, for instance. Uh, so developments could be done more sustainable in a city. Uh, obviously, and more, more, let's say, respecting the residents, right? <laughs> Over to like uh, things around how to improve parking in the city. So uh, you would discover available parking spaces more easily for parking sensors and could be directed to available parking slots rather than uh, having to drive around 10 times around the block <laughs> to find a parking lot and cause more air pollution. Over to things around actually... Uh, the way that you would irrigate parks 
and provide them with water based on the real needs and safe water doing so. But there's sort of many types of use cases that you can do with IoT incidents. And yeah, it's about also footfall counting on high streets to understand, you know, uh, your high street activity, queue lengths and those sorts of things during COVID. <laughs> that's something, again, that sort of picked up a bit. Yeah, so that there's plenty of examples. But I think what's more interesting now is for, for us, and this is where we're focusing on now, is like that as you build these sort of solutions and technologies, uh, bringing all these technologies, typically you've got your sensors and you've got your widget or your dashboard, and this data is just used for this specific sole purpose. And I think actually the infrastructure that you put in place could be useful for other applications and services as well, and or combined with other data to create new value. And that's something that I think is currently still untapped and it's quite difficult to achieve because of you know the tightly integrated IoT solutions that are out there. So what we're trying to do now is really to, can we open up those different systems that are slowly emerging, be it IoT or other urban systems, get the real-time data out of in a shareable way, and then let others to do new things on top that, that can be useful to them. And just an example, so uh, one of the kind of recent sort of core themes that we work on is like around real-time data is around supporting cities towards the journey on net zero. So an example, how do we decarbonize transport? Yeah, so, and obviously uh, a city like London, for example, the Greater London Authority has is charge points now, electric vehicle charge points deployed all over the city. So, and then, and they're from different operators and providers. And then they end up with 10 different dashboards from each provider or operator. And it's quite difficult to get the insights out uh, holistically across the city. So basically, and they are asking them, give me your data. And some give them a spreadsheet. Some others give them a proprietary API and it's a mess. So what we're trying to do is actually interfacing with those different deployed systems, getting real-time data out so they can actually use this now and get a holistic view to understand the demand and predict future demand. <laughs> so they know where to invest money next to satisfy basically the uptake of EVs in, the, in, in London. That's an example uh, that we're working on. And again, if you think of bringing technologies together like EV chargers, park and rides, or even smart parking sensors, for example, so currently, if you're sort of parking on an EV charge point, but not charging, you actually don't know if there's someone blocking the space or not. <laughs> and by combining these two information, you can actually create more contextual awareness. You know if someone is actually parking and charging or not, and occupies the space or not. So you can use this information for better enforcement and also for allowing advanced reservations and so on, better basically space management. We've got a project now with Transport for West Midlands, which is like a urban infrastructure operator, where we combine this and you know during daytime they they use then charges at park and rides for commuters yeah and during nighttime we can now serve the same infrastructure offer it to local residents to recharge their, their car yeah so that's another example where those things are coming together and where you can start combining across and create new use cases on top Mm. No, I like that. And it's like reusing that infrastructure. It's like sweating the assets, which I think is really key. And, you know, that's a parking example and, and EVs, but you can then use that same kind of principles for other things like sporting fields that get used for football during the day and whatever else at night or, or school during the day and whatever else at night. I want to ask you about opening up these kind of data sets. Obviously, there's a technology component to that, but 
what other components? I'm thinking like contractual, there's a, maybe a business rule or a t- policy or something that needs to go in place. So, and, and it's a great example where it's not a technology problem, there's just a technology problem. There's all these other layers. That, so you need these other heads involved when we're talking about the stuff, right? You're really right. You're really right. So sorry, I was focusing maybe on currently on data harmonization, getting it all in the same form and shape and getting it out. But you're right. So we want to share your data. You have to think about data licenses, right? So basically, or data sharing agreements, right? So obviously, if the data is owned by public sector or the systems are owned by public sector and data ownership is with them, it's more straightforward. Often they have some open policy or open data policy, and you can share them under open data licenses. But if you want to get data from the private sector, for instance, or share more sensitive data, then you need to govern and have some rules in place to support adequate sharing uh, mechanisms. And here you you want to restrict maybe who can see the data, how this data is being used later, you know, to for specific purposes, or can you create, can I store this data or not? Can I can I create IP from this data or not? Who owns the IP? All those sorts of things need to be reflected. And that's some of something that we actually provide as, as a feature in our urban data exchange. <laughs> and then over on top of it, you then think about, okay, actually, I might want to use this data to create a commercial service, but I want to make sure that this data is available there in the future as well, and that this data is reliable. Otherwise, you know, I might not be able to have a viable business. So then you also need to think about SLAs around the data to understand whether service level agreements, to understand whether the data is reliably flowing in, uh, if there are any issues, so you can act upon these issues and so on. And then think of even monetization, right? So again, you can see some stakeholders might not want to, or particularly private sector might not want to share the data if there's no incentive for them to do so. But if there's an opportunity for them to monetize some of it, then it becomes potentially a viable proposition for them. And then they would open up as well. And again, that's another layer <laughs> to the whole thing. Right. So, so it's really like slowly building building blocks for the what I call the urban data economy. Yeah, mm. yeah I think that's really key. And obviously, like uh, depending on what it is and who owns it and all that type of stuff will change a lot of those things. But those conversations need to be had at, well, if they ha- weren't happening at the very beginning, they need to happen yesterday. And I think that's one of the key the key things within smart cities and communities. It's like it's not just, oh, we put this technology in and we're, we're doing this. It's who owns that data, how sensitive is the data, so privacy, those type of things, security, how can we – there's so many layers. I mean, it also makes it exciting too, I think. There's the curious people just flock to this space because there's not necessarily – a well, there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all, but sometimes there's actually not even an answer now. You have to – find the answer as well, which I think is really key and fun. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So, I mean, so some interesting examples, like you can see already like this sort of data economy uh, at work. Uh, so, uh, for instance, the GLA, so the British Credit Loan Authority, they purchase data actually from mobile network operators and also from MasterCard to get a better understanding. So from mobile operators, they can get an understanding of how people move in the city and what they do in the city, right? And then MasterCard gives like economic transactions happening in the city. And that was quite an important thing for them to sort of like, and uh, now during the last two years, uh, looking at the eco- economic recovery on the high street, right? How can this data provide value? And obviously, 
they weren't given this data for free <laughs> from those organizations, so they had to pay something for it. But it provided value to them, and this is sort of what unlocked this exchange of data, right, between those organizations. And I think you'll see more and more examples in future, like data from electric vehicle charge points is another example, <laughs> which will become more important, and transactions around it might emerge, right, and so on. So, yeah, just a few but. <laughs> Yeah, it's important, I think, and knowing that, you know, all of this stuff is data and I think sometimes we don't even think about it and when we're using, you know, cards and things. And, and I think in the future in terms of people's literacy around what is and what isn't data and what's valuable and what's not valuable and what's personal and, and what matters to me, I think is going to be really important and that's why it's so important to have these conversations now as well. Yeah, I, th- I think you really, you really hit basically a very good point, a literacy. And that's sort of one of the major challenges that we see when we sort of interact with local authorities, right? So there, there's typically someone who's really sort of keen on uh, starting to use data and these technologies and bring it into. But then the problem is that once you involve different service areas across a local authority or borough, you are faced with people who are used to an old way of working. <laughs> and they have done this for 20 years in, in one way. Right? And suddenly you bring in new data. They don't have the bandwidth. They don't have the understanding sometimes or the skills actually to leverage this new technologies and data that is coming out. And so what really needs to happen is that you are able to skill up the workforce or provide the capacity within a local authority to actually leverage these new tools and data. Only then adoption will happen because... Otherwise, it becomes just an interesting concept, a shiny thing. But putting it to use is something very critical. You know, you need to change how you make decisions in the council. You need to make sure how your workflow changes and adapts to it. And that's sort of a long-term play. And I don't see enough, actually, support for this provided by governments to the local authorities. Right? So, in this, in this sense. so there's... Not enough funding, not enough access to this kind of highly skilled labor that's needed now, or at least there's not enough emphasis going into actually letting people do a, a master's in data science or letting people to, you know, at least do a, a Tableau sort of three months crash course or whatever it is, right? So, yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, this new wave of, I guess, skills, the data skills that are required, it's like, I'll need to think of a better example because I don't have one, but it's like recognizing that there's a point in time where it's not the same anymore. I'm thinking of a very terrible example of of roads again because I was in construction and, you know, you used to measure these things out by hand, but then you went to a a GPS device where you would measure different things and, and then the machinery also has telematics in it and different things in it. And I'll, I'll think of a much better example, but I'm just thinking you don't just expect the people that did the measuring to then jump onto the GPS device. They need training to be able to do that. And I think that's an imperative now. And I agree. I think we're going to, we have to see more and more of that because otherwise there's also accountability in there as well, because if I don't know, it's not my skill or it's not my job actually to keep this technology going. It's just like something that's happening over here, then it won't succeed right but if it's part of my job now and i've got this new skill and i'm excited and i've and i love it because i'm learning new things and you know my job is secure and whatever and i'm going to do this and it's going to be great and i'm going to make decisions better and blah 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 then i think we can actually get people excited to work in government 
because there's so many exciting things happening and yeah it's exciting i've got a couple of examples just like you know just to go to this point like so obviously there's so a couple of use cases that we sort of now working with uh, <laughs> or have been working with in the past like obviously you know the smart waste you know knowing when the bin is full and then basically not just going around to every household collect every every different bin but only collect those bins which are full right or optimize your route accordingly right so this is basically one example of how things could happen and the other so basically but it, it will take the bin man or those lorry drivers to suddenly adapt to a new regime rather than driving up a well-known route every time of the day they suddenly have to their route might change every week <laughs> you know what i mean uh, and it might be actually an inconvenience for them right and so it takes time until they adapt to this new way of sort of working maybe a result of this is also that you need fewer bin, uh, bin lorries and you need fewer people on the ground so you've got then uh, resistance obviously from the unions or others to sort of cut the jobs and so on that might come with this Although you save resources and you make things better for the planet, <laughs> you know, it obviously affects people and, yeah, causes obviously inconveniences to them yeah, as well. Yeah, I agree. And it's real. It's actually real, real issues. But if we can then train our people to use new technology, maybe it's something similar in maybe they drive a different truck now with the same telematics or maybe they train other people to do so. Or maybe what you can do, particularly local government, the population grows, but they're still able to maintain the same level of service, that type of thing. And I was thinking as you were talking, and we're going to move to the future in a second, but an example in Bendigo, one of my friends worked down there and um, he was doing IoT gateway mapping and he involved the uh, truck drivers, the garbage truck drivers, and they went, oh, what's this, you know, what is this thing? They're really curious. And so then he told them and he said what they're going to do and what like their job in it, like their purpose in it was. And, and they got really excited about it. And they're like, oh, oh, great, you know. And now I can see, oh, yep, we've got one here and we've got this here. And, and then actually getting people involved because I think giving them a purpose and understanding why it's making things better and more, even more efficient or it's better for them or if it's better for, you know, maybe we can show that they're saving X amount of fuel, which costs this much, and then, then that can be redeployed to, I don't know, higher quality something, whatever it is. I think that's important. Telling that story is really, really important to all the people involved, not just the decision makers at the top. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's zoom to the future now. What are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, obviously, there are plenty of passwords going around which are talked about, like 5G, ethical AI, personal data management, Virtual collaboration, metaverse, digital twin, blah, blah. <laughs> There's plenty of stuff going on. But I think, so if, if you now really think a bit more time, you know, right? So like the recent war in Ukraine has really shown us now how we're dependent on global supply chains, right? Both in terms of energy, manufacturing, and food supplies. And I mean, I'm not going to get political, you know, but if you have bad actors in the system, right, it becomes more difficult to change relationships and configurations, yeah? without creating harm for yourself and your partners, right? So putting sanction on or those sorts of things become much more difficult then, yeah? Uh, because, you know, everyone has to suffer and pay for it, right? So I believe the trend that we will soon see surging is to move towards more self-sufficient cities. The cities that can be fully autonomous in their energy supply, food production, manufacturing, capabilities, and so on. 
And a friend of mine, his name is Thomas Diaz, he works for the Fab City Network. And he's basically working on this concept of locally productive and globally connected cities, mission for a long time. And it's taking the concept of makers and fab labs, right, <laughs> to a new level, exploring how cities can be in control of their own destiny and more self-sufficient for providing the right local digital and manufacturing infrastructure, know-how and resources. And I think this is a good blueprint to enable then a circular economy as well and a more rapid transition towards more sustainable and resilient cities. Mm. I think that's a really key and I guess really timely as well. And I think resilience, like sustainability and resilience, again, they may be seen as buzzwords, but beneath the surface is very, very key. And resilience is, there's obviously many different uh, subsets of resilience, but I think you're right. And I think we're going to get, as we know, more disasters, more disruptions, etc. the more resilient we can be, we'll see those towns, cities, regions be able to bounce back quicker. And people want to live there because that's, I can continue my job or whatever the case is, or, or I can visit there or, or whatever it is. And they can continue to function. I'm just thinking people living there, but also then the businesses there as well can continue to be you know, profitable, etc. The governments can save money resources or use them more effectively because they're ready to respond. And I think tech and data can really help us do that. And in a way that, you know, as tools, not just like leading as, as you were talking about making those decisions. And I think particularly like an IoT network, for example, and we can know things faster than we would ever know before because we've got the data that was never available before. But we need people with those skills to be able to go, yes, maybe we could do it with that. You know, it's not a textbook, right? You have to actually just think about things a bit differently. And I think that's important. And we want those people within government, you know, obviously consultants are fabulous as well and we can help government to do that but we want to embed those people within government as well we want them to stay there and, and then continue to build other people around them which is important too sure sure well alex it's been so great to have you on the podcast i better let you start your day thanks for coming on to the pod um i've had a really great conversation i think we need to chat again for sure and i've made a lot of notes around um, different things that you're doing and different people that you've mentioned as well and yeah, thanks so much for sharing. I, I really, really enjoyed that. So thanks for coming on. No, no, thanks, Zoe, for having me. You know, like, I mean, obviously, I'm, whoever wants to connect with me, I'm, feel, feel free to, like, ping me on LinkedIn. Also, if you're interested in urban data, you can join our urban data talks. It's a meetup group. Just go to meetup.com, Google urban or, or search for urban data talk <laughs> and sign up. Uh, it's online. So, yeah, hope to see you in one of those meetings. Awesome. We'll put all the links in the show notes and you've answered my question about how people can connect with you. So we'll put all those links in the show notes as well. And yeah, thanks again for coming onto the pod. And I really look forward to our next conversation. Okay. Same here. Uh, enjoy it in celebrating style as well, your graduation. <laughs> Thank you. I will. No one needs to tell me how to celebrate as my friends would say. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Alex. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. The Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by My Smart Community. If you're looking for support in podcast strategy and production, workshop design and facilitation, or communication and media advisory, get in touch. Email hello at mysmart.community or head to www.mysmart.community. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community slash podcast. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at SmartComHQ. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.